0: This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from Go Abundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for Go Abundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. We're here live in Miami at the GoBundance Global Conference. And I've got a GoBundance member next to me, Mike DeHaan. He's a real estate investor. He is a jump without a plan entrepreneur. Uh, he's out of Spokane, Washington. Don't call it Spokane. I don't know who the hell called... <laughs> he gave me this warning before, don't call it Spokane. I'm like, who calls it Spokane? But yeah. we'll, we'll explore that, I guess. A little yeah. Bit
1: later. Well, it's, it's everyone. You know, Gonzaga University's there. They have a pretty decent basketball team. So oh. every year in March Madness, it's all over ESPN. And you know, even though they've been in the tournament for fifteen years now, they yeah. still say it wrong every gotcha. single
0: time. Spokane. Yeah. Yeah. Also the host of the Collecting Keys podcast. So Mike, welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Jamie. Love it. Yeah. You yeah. might hear some background noise in here, and I apologize. We're in a we're in a live podcast room if you're watching on video. There's other podcasts happening over there. Uh so apologize for any background noise, but we uh this is this is live TV, live uh, live podcasting. So Mike, let's go back a little bit. So you're in Spokane <laughs> today, that's not where you started. Yeah. Um uh, give us a little bit of your backstory, where, where you're from, and take us through now.
1: Yeah, so I grew up out in uh, Bozeman, Montana, so, you know, sort of a rural area. Bozeman's super popular and trendy these days, but back when I was growing up there, it was a farm town. Mm. Um, like, I remember when the first department store came there, which wasn't that long ago. I mean, I was 10, and now, I'm, you know, I'm 31, and now it's a sort of a mecca where tons of people go yeah. to buy their large vacation homes to go skiing, go fishing, do all that sort of stuff. So, grew up there, went through high school, sort of a traditional path. Um, Went to Gonzaga University in Spokane. Um, Got an electrical engineering degree. Sort of, you know, struggled through school, wasn't really my thing, but I went through kind of with a mindset that when I graduated and I went and got a job, that, you know, I would enjoy life more, right? I'll start making money. That would be cool. Parents are super proud. So go through, jump right into the workforce. I graduated in 2013. So it was, kind of after the recession had really gone through. So getting jobs was so easy. Yeah. You know, especially as an engineer, I had to pick the litter when it came to jobs. I decided to move out to the Seattle side and start working at a consulting company. was there for about a couple of years. Didn't really like it. Um, I decided to seek a job that was more of like a bucket list job or like a dream job for a lot of people. So I started looking at places like Amazon, Boeing, mm. you know, larger companies that people sort of seek from all over the world. I ended up getting a job at Boeing, which was realistically impossible to do. Mm. Um, I got very lucky with just the whole process. Basically they told me that there were 450 applicants for the job. Um, they interviewed 50 and they hired three and I was one of the ones that got hired. Wow. So something that a lot of people, uh, were seeking, right? And I will always remember the first day that I walked into that Boeing building. I was so excited. I walk in, I get to my desk, I see the cubicle jungle, the fluorescent lights, and I was like, damn it. Depressed. I made up. a horrible mistake. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So instantly I realized that um, I had, you know, I was in a place that I really shouldn't be, but I had the golden handcuffs at that point. Mm. You know, I was making really good money. I was 26 you know, my total compensation package was about $120,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was, that was a lot of money. Yeah. You and know, you can do a lot of stuff with that back then. So, um, sort of was struggling through it, was dealing with it. And then the real turning point for me actually was, uh, in 2016, my father had a stroke. Um, and it was kind of like a freak thing. He was always in really good health. He had a hemorrhagic stroke and had a brain bleed and spent six weeks in the ICU. And during that time, me and my wife, we actually traveled down and lived out of the hospital with my mom. And it gave me a lot of time to sort of reflect on life and what I want that look like. But the real kicker was everyone, you know, my boss, everyone knew the whole life situation, how close I was to my family. And then for the next six weeks, Boeing proceeded to call me every single day and basically said, Hey, what the hell are you doing? Why aren't you at work? No kidding. Right. And um, they, you know, forced, like, threatened me with disciplinary action and to let me go and all this sort of stuff because I was there. And I basically said, Screw you, I don't care. Mm. Um, so. Anyway, that whole situation, he had a very long recovery. He's doing great now. I was going to um, okay. Yeah. So yeah. He's, he's doing very well now. Like you honestly never know, but he had to have brain surgery out of all this sort of stuff <clears throat> put me into a spiraled state of, state of depression that I was in for probably about the next two years. Um, in that period of time, I got married. Um, even though my wife admitted that she, at one point she was debating not getting married because of... The, the state that I was in. For you. Yeah, sure. Yep, and then uh you know we I got took a different job, moved back to Spokane to work at a local utility over there. And then after a year of that, it was you know my fourth job at that point. And five years as an engineer, I decided this isn't for me. Mm. And in January of 2018, I just jumped and just quit and just said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll figure it out. Wow. You know, and I'd been able to make good money for those couple of years. So I had some runway mm. and I basically just left and decided I was going to go and find myself. So, How much runway? I'm curious. Um, so like, if, if we had no income, probably about five months, six months. Yeah. Um, I did have a backstop of like a 401k that I had built up that was pretty significant sure. if I needed to pull on that, but I would recognize the fees. Um, but, you know, I had cash savings about five or six months and then my wife had a job that we were able to live off of for the most part. So that uh-huh. made it a little bit easier. Wow. So you leave. What's the first thing you do? Um, so my original intention when I left, I've always been into sports and fitness and I used to moonlight as like a weightlifting coach. Mm. So my original thing was, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go and be a physical therapist. I want to help people learn how to be healthier. So I left, went started, started school to do my prereqs to go to PT school, worked in a PT clinic, which was part of the process for about a month and was like, F this, I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so I completely just shot it. Yeah. And then, so after, after that, we were like, you know, I was kind of lost and I was like, I just need to sort of get out of my element. So my wife, we decided to pull on our savings to go to New Zealand and do probably the most financially irresponsible thing at the time, which is go travel around New Zealand for a month. Mm. But that, that whole trip, I have family down there, you know, I got to like see different sort of like lifestyle and culture that's still Western, but have you ever, have you ever spent any time in New Zealand or around no, New Zealand people? Been. Yeah. They have a very different view just like on the world, you know, and on life and things like that. And even though, even if they live kind of humbly, a lot of them have a view that there's just like more out there to experience and explore. Sure. And that sort of motivated me to get into entrepreneurship so I could have that freedom and I could go and do more with my life than just be focused on work which is kind of the traditional path was, you see. Was right there here. any question for you? I mean you said it is a financially
0: irresponsible thing. I guess that's debatable, but when you made the decision, was there any sort of like, I mean, we're going to do this. I don't know that we should, but or was it like, uh, okay, I guess we will. I'm just kind of curious. I feel like I feel like the greatest things in life happen when you follow something that feels authentic, yeah. even if it doesn't seem practical. Was that where you were or was it like I wasn't going to do this. And thank God, kicking and screaming, I was dragged to it. I'm curious, was it an authentic thing or was it a mistake?
1: It was purely authentic. Um, And I mean, I've always kind of been someone that follows that authentic nature, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So like when we made that decision, I mean, we did have the perfect excuse to go because I have family down there, someone's getting married. I'm like, cool, we'll just like go there and we'll make a whole thing of it. Yeah. Right. But it was never really like a question or a concern. And like the view that I always had was, Worst case scenario, I can go back to being an engineer if I need to I have a valuable degree. I know I'm hireable and that was the last thing I ever wanted to do, but I did have that as a backstop because I knew that that was a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then also as well, I guess the one bit of comfort I did have is I've always sort of come from like a hustle mindset Mm -hmm. where I'll just like figure things out. Yeah. You know, regardless of what happens. So like even when, you know, I wasn't making any money for that first period of time, I was still working as a coach. I was driving for Uber. I was doing whatever I could to, you know, taking odd jobs from people. Like somebody would post on Facebook, like, hey, I need 50 bucks. Someone come help, help me move a fridge. They're looking for like a high schooler. And it rolls in this 30-year-old guy that's like, I oh, want 50 bucks. I'll help you move the fridge. <laughs> sure, right. You know, yeah. like whatever it was. Whatever I would just takes. do anything to just scrape it by.
0: Did you have that as a kid? Do you, as you look back now, so I love the, I love the story of, you said a couple of things that resonated with me because I didn't realize it. I I, didn't, I wasn't okay with it until, you know, recently it was like, I hated school. Yeah. I thought it was pointless. I, I, my, my objective was to get through. Like yeah. i never, I may have said this before on this show, but I've never understood, or I never understood when people would say to me, like, you got to see minus. I'm like, yeah, which means I passed. Yeah. I passed something that you said I needed to, in order for me to go through whatever this is. Mm-hmm. I don't really care what my grade is. I'm never going to use English literature in my life ever. So I really didn't care. But back then I, I was like, oh my God, I'm a bad person. That was what I was conditioned to be, but it never resonated with me. So I love that. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about walking in to cubicle, what'd you call it? The cubicle? And, uh, it's cub- the
1: cubicle farm. Cubicle the fluorescent farm. lights. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's fluorescent lights. yeah.
0: And it is, man. It's sad, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about it, For us, at least it's sad. That's sad for everybody. But- did you have entrepreneurial tendencies as a kid if you go back did you you know start the landscaping company and hire a bunch of people like some folks did did you ever did you display any of this or was it later in life
1: so I did in like a different fashion you know I like not in like a practical way that it was actually viable for making money so growing up I was very sort of introverted um, I didn't have a lot of friends I spent a lot of time playing online video games yeah and I would do things in those that were entrepreneurial like I would find like the hack that I could generate more gold. Oh, and so yeah, I would yeah. like set up systems to do that, yeah. right? Um, but, you know, I wish I had done it, like go start the landscape company. I could have gotten something tangible from it. And instead so yeah. I created all this internet money that's not worth anything.
0: But you were, t- it's like paper
1: trade. Yeah, yeah, right? pretty you, much.
0: You, you figured out a way. Yeah, I, We had a, my parents used to buy VHS videos. So mm-hmm. were you, are you, even VHS? Yeah. It was a DVD when you were growing up. Oh, uh, no, I
1: have VHS. A little bit of VHS. Yeah.
0: So we had like this wall of VHS videos. And I remember my, I also grew up in a very rule centric household. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's only certain things you can and can't do. But I remember thinking because people would want, my friends would want to watch these videos, like, I should rent these. I could rent them for a buck or two bucks or whatever. And my father's like, well, if you do that, you have to pay royalties to the, the, to to the, uh, to the, uh, you know, whoever creates the videos, the, the, what are they called? The uh, studios. You have to pay, like, oh, oh, okay. Like, back in your box, back in your box, right? Like, don't do that. But it's funny you say that, like, nothing ever came of, entrepreneurial endeavors I had, but I had the mindset. Mm -hmm. I look back and I think of like that and some other things where I had the mindset to do it, but then it was sort of, you know, you gotta you gotta play by these certain rules. So don't. Right. So don't. Yeah. Wow. All right. So you quit your job, you go to New Zealand, it unlocks you. Tell me from there. What happens next?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I got really into basically the concept of um, financial freedom. You know, I read the four hour work week. That's kind of the book that I attribute to changing my mindset. It's a big book. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that sort of got me thinking and opened my eyes and I just started dabbling in different things. You know, the biggest thing I was looking at is was what would be a scalable business. Mm -hmm. You know, what would be something that I could do, um, location independent and I could travel, do all sorts of things. So I got in this mindset I wanted to be in startups, tech startups. So, I taught myself how to code. I basically locked myself in my basement for two months and taught myself how to become a web developer. Wow. Um, that was a whole endeavor, but basically I went through that, got my first job at a, a blockchain startup based out of Chicago. started working for them and I was like, cool, when am I getting paid? And they're like, oh no, this is an early phase startup. You don't make money. Mm. You get equity, mm. right? Which just means you get nothing. Yep. 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 Um, so I was like, okay, well that's not ideal. I was like, I, this is taking all of my time now. I no longer have time to do the other side hustles I was doing. I need money from somewhere. And I was like, real estate, rental properties. That's a passive income thing that's talked about in different books. Sure. You know, I'd been listening to bigger pockets and those sort of things. So it was familiar. And I was like, I need some rental properties. So how do I find some? And I was like, well, they always talk about finding fixer uppers, doing all this work. I like, I don't want that. I want easy real estate. And in the neighborhood that we lived in, there was a, a new development going up. It's little single family homes. And I kind of met the builder through like a friend of a friend. And I said like, oh, what are those houses selling for Is so it 200, 200 grand a piece? Mm. And I was like, that's great. I can for, afford those if I liquidate my 401k. Mm. And I was like, I'll pay like 20% in penalties. So I was like, but then I'll make, you know, passive income from these rentals. So I liquidated my 401k. I put down my down payment oh. on these two turnkey rental properties. And I was like, did the math and I was like, perfect. So let's see, my monthly payments is going to be 300 bucks. I can probably rent for 1600 bucks. I'm going to make $300 a month per property, right? That's, it's easy. You know, I wasn't accounting for any sort of vacancy, maintenance. Um, I didn't count for the taxes properly. <laughs> basically, it counted for nothing. I love this. So yeah. I just, I basically just bought these houses. I remember I bought them, closed on them, and I like post them up on Zill. I'm going to get tenants. Two months basically go by and I don't have any tenants. No kidding. And I'm like, oh no. Yeah. What have I done? I'm like, do I sell the houses? Like I have to drop my rent. I have to sort of figure this whole thing out. And then I actually ended up getting very lucky because what happened is a state group that happened to be driving through the neighborhood or something, they saw that the house were available on Zillow. They called me and they're like, hey, we are at this group that we do state-sponsored housing for um, mentally disabled adults. Mm. So they were like, you know... Kind of like lower functioning people using a lot of more wheelchair bound they have full-time care. it's like they're not like you know drug addicts or anything crazy. it's an a- class neighborhood like we need homes for these people that are um, wheelchair accessible they're both ranchers that check their box and like we will pay you premium rent if we will rent if you'll rent to us and we'll do it on a three-year lease mm. and they said a three-year lease with the option to adjust and I was like, well, that's great. how about for two thousand bucks a month? they said done. I'm like awesome, so right there, I started making actual money out of just pure luck, right? Because I was in that position to do so. Yeah, I love. So um, there's there's parts of
0: your story here, right? That I love. Yeah. You're so countercultural, and I freaking love it. My working definition right now for entrepreneurship is defiance. Yeah. So you know, anyone would say to you. You don't liquidate your 401k. You're going to pay too much in penalties. You're going to lose money. Sure. You don't go to New Zealand for a month when you're, you know, how are you going to support yourself? You're know, you not making any money. You don't buy houses without doing these this yeah. analysis or, you know, doing more research or whatever. Right. But you did all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it felt like the right thing to do. And it was for you, you know, the way in which you were able to achieve what you were trying to achieve, which is start to build passive income. You've mentioned luck a couple of times. I don't know. I'm sure there's, I know there's always luck involved. But the action you take, the action you've taken, feels like it creates these opportunities for you. You know, I always say this on the on the real estate side. Whenever somebody's like, you know, uh, how do you get started? It's like you buy. Mm-hmm. If you think for a second that you're gonna plan out and underwrite a property so perfectly that it's gonna do exactly what you say it's gonna do on on a on a piece of paper, once you buy the house, it's gonna smack you in the mouth somewhere, okay. somehow, some. You know, like you said, I didn't plan for this, that, the other. My first two burrs, I was I was off by half on the rehab cost. <laughs> it yeah. was literally twice as much as I planned for. Yeah. We're still standing, right?
1: It's, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the realization that you come back to is like one of my really good friends is actually on my business partner. I remember when we were first, he was first dabbling in real estate before me. And I would ask him all these questions and he would say, the worst thing that happens, is you got to spend more money. Yeah. You know, realistically, like, you know, especially in the real estate world, in the residential real estate world, it's relatively forgiving unless you are just completely negligent on something or you made a really bad decision. I mean, you're not going to lose everything. You might lose some money on a deal. You might lose some equity. But honestly, if you're able to hold it for the long term, you'll be fine. And so I always kind of had that mindset that what's the worst that could really happen? Sure. And that just sort of, you know, helped get over that hump. I
0: love it. I love it. I mean, really, you know, again, you don't want to go bankrupt or anything like that, but the worst that could happen is that. You know, you have to have a reset. It sucks for a while, Mm -hmm. but, you know, you learn and grow. Not that you're aiming for that. I had this discussion the other night with a couple of guys. There's like a uh, 24-year-old guy there who's here helping helping with the event, and he was asking about it. I'm like, dude, you're 20... like, do whatever, like, yeah. take every risk you possibly can. You can go bankrupt twice between now and 30 and still be a child, right? Yeah. I mean, you're 31. Do yeah. you feel any different than when you were 22? No, you like, know, not at all. When you're 22, you think 30 is adulthood. And it, it's like, not nah, 40 not either. I'll tell you right now, you hit 40, 43, 44, 45, you'll be amazed at how you feel no different than you do right now. It's yeah. crazy. So, yeah.
1: I mean, even my dad, my dad's in his, um, you know, mid seventies. He's had a stroke. Yeah. He's done. He has my, he's had a most incredible life. He's like do a whole podcast and just stuff that he's done. Um, but even now he's like, he, he said that he doesn't feel any different than he did when he was in his 20s. It's just his body's older. That's
0: it. My mom says the same thing. I still don't want to, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. 71 <laughs> yeah, years right. old, right? I, she's like, I still don't want to know what I want to be. She doesn't feel like a 70-year-old other than physically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, mentally, emotionally, whatever, you're always going to be there. Yeah. Um, and we might come back to your Dad, if we have time, because yeah. you just, that, that was very, uh, yeah, made my curiosity uh, spike a little bit. Um, all right, so uh, well, one thing, and maybe you mentioned it, but there's the, the distractions in the room are kind of getting to me here, but the tech startup you had equity in, you do you have equity in that?
1: Oh, it, it went belly up. Went so belly I, up. I, I, I got nothing you on it. You got that. nothing, just, I just got, experience. Well, well, yeah, I got I got experience. <laughs> and it was my first view actually into entrepreneurship and the value of networking. Yeah. Because we were early phase. Like it was a lot of effort that went into growing it. We went to conferences and all sort of things. And as I was connecting with people, um, it was eye-opening to sort of see what people were doing. It's like coming to a Go Abundance event. Yeah. You start to see where people are finding their way, where they're making money that sort of like drive to hustle and grind and get things done, that was my first true exposure to that on like a large scale. Gotcha. So that was really invaluable even though I didn't make any money. No, it's, it's
0: experiences
1: is, is just mm-hmm. as valuable. What does it look like today?
0: Portfolio-wise, what are you doing? Kind of take me to present day with uh, with everything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So after I bought those properties, um, I decided to do a different path. I needed more money. So I, I bird a duplex Shortly after that, um, that was late 2018, 2019, I was like, I got to start flipping houses. I need more money. I didn't have any money to flip houses with. So I basically partnered with um, a local investor that had money. Mm. I went and facilitated all the work and, you know, basically the definition of using other people's money, right? They funded the whole thing. I did the hustle. We split it 50-50. First house I flipped, I spent four months um, on the opposite end of town, driving back and forth and foremost doing it. And I made $4,200. Wow. So the biggest yeah. waste of time yeah. for monetary a thousand policy. Bucks a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I guarantee you I spent more on gas, Yeah, but you know, that, that was the education in doing renovations and project planning that I'd never had before. So ones after that were successful through 2019, bought a couple more rentals. And then in, uh, um, end of 2019, it was starting to reach a point where with how aggressive I wanted to be with my buying, I recognized realtors weren't finding deals. Wholesalers were scraping all the profit. And I was like, I got to find deals myself. Mm. So again, I didn't really have a huge amount of money at this point. So I approached my business partner, my now business partner, who was also my best friend from college. He had a very high paying job. And I was like, Hey, you want to invest? I want to invest. We should do this thing. I'll build the system basically to find our own opportunities. You know, you help me fund it and we'll just build this business. Right. And Our initial goal was to do, um, we wanted to buy 50 properties in 10 years. Mm, Okay. You're like, that sounds fine. Um, so like started it, COVID happened, ups and downs. 2020 was weird, figured it out. Um, anyway, so as of right now, we have a full off-market wholesale flipping investment business. Um, we've been operating this since early 2020. So about two and a half years now. We have 10 employees. We're about to do our 100th transaction. Wow. Um, a faster than 15 in 10 years. It's a lot faster than 15 in yeah. 10 years. <laughs> and our rental portfolio is sitting, I think, currently at 48 units. Wow, man. And uh, by the time this comes out in June, we're some of the closing we have should be about 60 units. Amazing. Across a bunch of different portfolios. So, yeah, so we, that's where our current business is. And we're operating in five different markets right now. Is your friend still working? Uh, he's still working at his W-2. <laughs> um, he's... I mean, when this comes out, I'm not sure if he will be still, he's debating on leaving at some point. Sure. But, uh, he has a high paying job where realistically he's in a position where he doesn't have a lot of daily responsibility. Yeah. So he's making good money and he sure. spends most time working on our stuff. So kind Makes of no, yeah. no yeah. Yeah. Just ride it out as long as he can, I guess. Right. Ex- yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, this is the, the business partner you have now is a college friend. The first business partner that you mentioned on the flip that you made 4,200 bucks on mm-hmm. was a local investor. So how did you tell me, talk about that. Cause I, I think that's a, that's a block for some folks like, well, I'd love to, but I don't. And what you did was found mm-hmm. the partner, right? You don't have money or you don't have experience or whatever. You found the partner with that. How did that how did that come to be? How did that conversation happen? How did you propose it? Just walk me through that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So it came to be honestly from connecting with them on bigger pockets first, just on the forums mm-hmm. and found out that they were local. And we met up at a local meetup. And, you know, we just kind of hit it off really well. And it was one of those things that I think they could sense that I was hungry and I wanted to get things done and we built some good trust. And it just came from that. It, came, I mean, ultimately it came from my involvement in the community because I had been active in the meetups at that point. You know, I had been actively bidding on products, actively trying to do stuff. So when they came in and were looking for someone to help facilitate doing flips, there's people there that were willing to vouch for me because I'd been around. So I kind of had that brand, my personal brand established locally to sort of get that credibility. Even though I hadn't actually done many deals yet. You were showing up. I was showing up and yeah. they, people knew that I was hungry and that I was, you know, educated and willing to figure things out.
0: Is he or she still in the picture today? No, nope, nope. no.
1: I actually haven't talked to them for a couple of years. Um, we had a flip that was active when COVID started that went kind of sideways, particularly because they panicked and we had to kind of panic sell it and we ended up losing some money that they were pretty sour about. Mm. Um, but it, You know? It ended on not the best terms, but it is what it is. Sometimes that happens in partnerships.
0: Uh, how did you structure that first partnership? Was it 50 on on profit, or what was it? Yeah, that?
1: it was just 50-50. You know, they basically took all the risk, and then I did all the work, most of the work. Yeah. Now, did you
0: so. physically do the work of the floor? Were you sub subcon- like the? Were you the general contractor for subcontractors?
1: Yeah. So I general most of the subs. I did do some work myself, especially when subs wouldn't show up or things would fall behind. Yeah. So you know, things from hanging drywall, doing flooring, painting. I mean, me and my my wife, like there was several weekends where we would be up there and we'd be like looking at a YouTube video for how to install a shower insert. I was going to ask, did you have any experience with any of this stuff? <laughs> no, none. none. Yeah. Like I literally never like held a power tool. <laughs> so I, I, I guess I, would use power tools lightly to do work in my own house, Yeah, but everything else is just school YouTube. And I was like, I don't know, I'll figure it out or I'll find someone to teach me. Wow. But, man. <laughs> wow. You just
0: go, 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 go. How is your business partnership structured now? Is it the same thing 50, 50 on everything?
1: Yep. So we're 50, yeah. 50. Um, and then, how we structure our roles, I basically lead the sales acquisitions yeah. side of it and the dispositions on wholesale properties, on our wholesale deals. And then he manages the renovations, the project management, all that sort of stuff after we close, and he manages all of our rentals.
0: Gotcha. What is the, if you don't mind, without getting maybe too granular, but the the crux of the system that you have, like the system that, you, I mean, that's a lot of transactions, no matter where you mm-hmm. are, especially in this market, a hundred in a year, essentially, right? Yeah. Um, what is the, the like, are you texting yellow letter campaigns? Is it some other kind of marketing that you're doing? Just give me kind of a, an insight into what you're doing.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of all of the above. So we, in our different markets, we try and we test different things and we measure our KPIs very explicitly to sort of see what's working and what's not. Yeah. But the key thing, like most people, when they start marketing for deals, they focus on the marketing and really what it comes down to is the data and the follow up process. Like, like anyone can go and start marketing for properties. You can go hire a cold calling company right now for 2000 bucks a month and they'll call and you know they'll you'll get leads coming into your system. So that barrier to entry is very low. Or say you want to go order some postcards. You can go and order, you know, a bunch of postcards, send them to a list that you pulled off PropStream whatever. Yep. And like anyone can do that. But the reason that we do deals and a lot of people don't is because of how we analyze our data and how we follow up with different kinds of leads and different methods. So like we specifically target people that have, you know, we stack our data. So we find people that have the most potential motivation to sell and we target them most heavily. Mm. But then what we really do is we spend time going into the back records of the different courts and city systems that, mm. so it's not necessarily publicly available yet. And we manually scrape things like, people that are going to divorce court, but don't have a filed divorce yet. You know, people that are going to jail, like they're, they're currently in court for some sort of uh, felony or something like that. Sure. You know, people that are, have a bankruptcy hearing, but they don't necessarily have a recorded bankruptcy yet. So we try, we do wow. that to try and get ahead of the curve yeah. and that's all available, but you have to manually find it. Right. So, you, so just to be clear, the you know you send out
0: a hundred letters or text or whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's a combination of, and I know there's more than this, but uh, you're going to be divorced you're going to go to jail and these people call you.
1: Exactly. And yeah, they, And they say, Hey, yeah, yeah, I am about to go to jail yeah. or we are going through a divorce. Yeah. And we, we do I our marketing kind of coy. Like we don't let them know that we know their situation, Oh, no, but I it's guess. always like, Hey,
0: so you're hey, going to jail. Call yeah. Me.
1: Yeah. Right. It's always like, Hey, we, we like your house in this neighborhood. It's in our buy box. We want to Excel. And then they call us and, it's always it's it's always kind of interesting conversation because they don't know that we know they're doing right. What I was going to ask you how
0: do you navigate? Yeah, that?
1: so we we play it off, you know, very basically of like, oh yeah, tell us about the house, tell us all our stuff, build that rapport with them, and then as you're getting to know them through the whole sales process. Next thing you know, all their stuff's coming out. They're like, I got to sell in the next two weeks. You know, I'm I'm going to jail. Like, I need to be able to exit this before that happens. And that's where the opportunities come from.
0: So. Wow, wow. How many touches does it take you typically to, to you know, get a deal under under contract?
1: Yeah, I, I need to, to recheck that this year because our, we've exploded over the last few months. Um, but last time I checked it at the end of last year was about 17 touches. 17 so, touches. The, How, is this you? No, this is my staff. What's your staff look like? Local people, VAs? What is this? So we're a completely virtual company. Um, And so there's me and my business partner. We have a sales manager. We have uh, three acquisitions managers. We have a couple of VAs. And uh, we had until recently a lead manager based out of Central America. He quit this week, actually. Um, but uh, And he was basically the cold touch guy. So he would follow up with people that we hadn't talked to in a while and try wow. to schedule them. Are for these visits. salaried?
0: I mean, VAs are one thing, but the people that are doing acquisition, your acquisition manager, your, um, uh, what was the other one? Do You have three was it three acquisitions managers?
1: Yeah, we have three acquisitions managers that are all in commission.
0: Oh, and a sales manager, you mentioned.
1: Yep. Yeah, a sales manager who, he's a salary plus a commission. Yeah. And then um, our dispositions manager who sells all of our wholesale stuff, he has a base salary plus a commission. Interesting.
0: Wow. Wow. So
1: you're just blowing up growing all of this stuff, which is incredible. Mm-hmm.
0: Now you go into podcasting. Yeah. Collecting keys. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I've always found with real estate and media is, is it tends to be very fluffy. Mm. Like there's a lot of big wins. They'll be like, oh, you know, here's like the 22 year old that owns a thousand units, things yeah. like that, that, you know, aren't always relatable. And they sort of create this pipe dream sort of feel, which I don't feel is representative of the career, mm. especially when you're doing off market investment. So we just started our podcast to talk about what it's really like to run a business like we do. And also to talk about, you know, the ups and downs, like how to scale the different marketing, like the crazy stories, because we have stories with sellers that like you wouldn't believe. Sure. You know, people getting, we had a guy get kidnapped from a closing. <laughs> you know, we, we've had like old women like fight in houses that we're in, like, you know, stuff that's just unreal. And- <laughs> Jerry Springer-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah honestly. Yeah. Um. So we, we go into those sort of weeds and what to really expect and how to make it in a business that honestly, I think, is more of an emotionally and mentally taxing business than it is anything else just because- you're dealing with situations, like it's a people business. It's no longer a real estate business. You're dealing with situations that you never thought you would have to deal with, especially if you're in a position that you're even thinking about investing in real estate. Typically, it's a different social class than you're used to. True. And the stuff that comes up is is crazy. So we dive into a lot of that. Um, It's kind of the raw underbelly of what you do, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like our our tagline, it's kind of a mouthful. We're still working on our brand, but (laughs) we say we're we're the anti-real estate podcast, real estate podcast. I like that. So we kind of lean on that a little bit and more just like the true... Nature of what that's a great tagline, man. I wouldn't work too much on that. That's yeah. really good. I like that.
0: I mean, it's it stands out, right? It's like yeah. anything. So that's yeah. great. It's great branding, great marketing. Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, we're running out of uh, time, but let's talk about this. I, I we spoke uh, at the beginning of this that you and I chatted about a year ago almost mm-hmm. a year ago now, coming up on a year yeah. uh, about this coming into GoBundance. So tell me about your time and GoBundance. What's been great? You know, all of that stuff. What's been maybe a struggle, anything, whatever you want to share about your time and Abundance.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the biggest thing with GoBundance, kind of like I said about the uh, convention stuff I would go to for when I was in that uh, crypto startup, just the connections that you make and being around people that kind of get it. Yeah. Cause that was the biggest thing that I found when I started to find success. You know, I had the same group of friends when I was an engineer through when I was making no money through now where I'm making very good money. And as I crossed over that income threshold and I start, started pursuing, you know, growing myself and trying to get to the next level just in life, all of a sudden it, you know, you don't have the same relationships that you used to. And I mean, the big reason I joined GoBundance was to find that. And one of the things that I found that's so huge is how we're all the same. Hmm regardless of what's on our one sheets, you know, like at, at the true. core of it, right? Yeah. Like we're all kind of the same people. And yeah, you can, 20 million and a million can get together yeah. and add value to each other. Right? Yeah. Very yeah. easily. Right. And not only that, but they give each other the benefit of the doubt that mm. they're expecting to there to be valued. That yeah. That's a there. great point. And I think it's this, the same mindset, same kind of individuals. And, you know, it's been completely invaluable. But. Amazing. Amazing. How yeah. about this event at Miami? Did you have an intention for
0: the time here or like, what is this? What do you, what do you like to do at these events? This is your second one. I think you mentioned right? Yeah. In Park City here, but yeah, just kind of give me some takeaways on the event so far or what you intend to do at this event.
1: Yeah. So I went to Park City as well. And one of my intents for coming to this one was to sort of meet more people that were outside of my geographic area. Sure. It's Park City very close to where I live. A lot of people were, that were from there are from Colorado, California, you know, places that are already very close. They didn't meet a whole lot of East Coast people. Oh, gotcha. So I was like, cool, let's go see what the other side of the tribe is doing. decided so to come out here. <laughs> I like but, it all the way across, literally from one
0: corner to the other, right? You go from the top corner of the nation to the bottom corner of the nation. Yeah. Um, but like you said, it is, I lo- see, this is something we talked about before and I love this perspective. Like A lot of people would, it, it maybe in regular life would be like, man, what a day long flights or whatever. The way you said it was, man, I left my house and eight hours later, I'm in Miami. Yeah,
1: that's crazy. Like right? the fact that we can even do that yeah. <laughs> in society is unbelievable.
0: That's a great perspective. I love yeah. the mindset. Everything that you do, man, the, the 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 action you take, the drive you have, the sort of like, hey, this is what feels right to do right now. I'm going to go do it. And it's working for you. Mm-hmm. It works out for you. I think more people need to do that. So
1: Yeah, appreciate
0: it. Where do people find more about you, find out more about you? Is there a social handle, a website, anything you want to
1: share? Yeah, so... um, You can find me directly on Instagram is the best at Mike underscore invests. You can find our podcast, Collecting Keys Podcast. Go follow us there. And if you're interested in any sort of off-market real estate, check out our podcast for sure. And get it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And then something that we've actually been working on over the last little bit is we have a a little mastermind that we started. It's called the Instant Investor Program. I love it. And basically what that is, is it's a DIY video program and then it's a year-long membership to like our community. And our goal with that is to again, get around the fluffy part of real estate. So you don't come in and like, this is how you create a brand. This is how you do all sorts of stuff. Our goal is to have people be marketing and talking to sellers within the first two weeks. Mm. And they, um, you know, get a carbon copy of our business, exactly what we do, all of our processes that we spent two years implementing. They can just go and jump into it, right? So they can just take it, copy it, start marketing, and they can be doing exactly what we're doing in a very short period of time. So yeah, that's instantinvestorprogram.com people can go and check that out there and they can schedule a call with me if they want. And then our most recent thing. So we had a lot of people that inquired about the instant investor program after park city. yeah. And there was people that were like, I really want to do this, but I have my other business. I just want opportunities that's like, can we partner up? Can we do these things in in our our own market? And they wanted us basically to market for them. And it got really messy. People wanting to buy rentals, do all this sort of stuff. So we actually launched our, what I would call like our platinum instant investor program, which we're calling yes. done for you deals. So done for you deals.net. You can find this. And basically it's a for hire private wholesale business. Wow. So they go and they pay us um, like for our services, $5,000 a month basically is what our fee is. And then they cover their own marketing, but then we run the marketing, the sales, the acquisitions, everything. And, you know, they basically can sit back, run their own business. And then as we get contracts, we come to them and say, here you go. Here's your contract. Would you like to buy this off market property that we got for you? Unbelievable. And capitalize from there. So, Jeez. All right. We have to chat about something after this, but uh, yeah.
0: no, this is incredible, man. Thanks for being on here. It's great seeing you.
1: Yeah. yeah I appreciate you. you being here. Yeah. Appreciate it.
0: That's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoAbundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you
1: soon.